0: and welcome to today's podcast. Today, it really is an absolute pleasure to be joined by Kevin Surace. Kevin, welcome. Thanks for joining us.
1: Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: All right, it's fantastic. Kevin, your Wikipedia profile, we were just talking about the off-air, is is amazing. So you are, gosh, a technology innovator, speaker, and entrepreneur. Goodness me, you have so many achievements. 93 patents. That's a that takes some doing. Um, so I think it's probably better that I hand over to you to highlight your accomplishments and your journey and what you're up to.
1: Oh, that's much harder for me to do it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You, you know, uh, look, I, I, I uh, started with humble beginnings in upstate New York. Uh, always, uh, always loved two things, music and uh, in musical theater and, 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 in uh, electronics. And I went to school at the Rochester Institute of Technology and. uh, got my uh, main degree in electrical engineering and computer science and my uh, sideline was still music and I continue to do both through my career uh, inventing all kinds of things um, and on the you know, technology side, uh, all of the technology that is used today and the methods for all of our virtual assistants, uh, from Siri to uh, to the Google Assistant, etc., were based on the the work um, that I had done back at a company called General Magic in the '90s. So we invented the first AI virtual assistants. Then uh, it was very hard to do. We had to build our own operations center. You had to build everything. There was no cloud. You had to build everything yourself. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but that led to you know the last twenty five years. Uh, doing more and more with what we call applied AI. And that's mm-hmm. different than someone who's designing algorithms, which is very cool and way smart. They're way smarter than I am. But applying those algorithms is something that we can use in everyday life. Um, that's called applied AI. And so that takes a different set of skills where you look at the business options and you look at the business opportunities, you look at productivity, you look at people's needs and pain points. And you say, how can I apply AI in really unique ways here? And that's what I've been doing there. And in in, uh, in, uh, building management, uh, what became the train building manager, which is one of the top building management systems used worldwide, uh, to AI and QA today to, that's AI that finds bugs in our software automatically. So continue to, to develop new techniques, uh, in applied AI and, in applying AI across across the landscape. And, um, uh, uh, it is true. I've got 94 now uh, worldwide <laughs> patents. Uh, I guess uh, someone will have to update that Wikipedia. Uh, <laughs> uh, they keep growing a little bit, but um, but but I'd summarize this: every day I get up and 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 I want to have a sense of purpose, and my sense of purpose is um, where are people's pain points, and can I solve them with technology? Yep. And, and so. Uh, um you know the virtual assistant came out of the fact that we shouldn't be typing and doing things in our car we should just be talking to essentially a human and we can't all afford our own actual assistant so could i create a virtual assistant well today that's obvious but in 1998 that was not obvious you no, know there exactly. was there, there were no smartphones yet there was you know there was nothing nothing available so all, all, always trying to solve um pain points
0: Fantastic. really so today we're going to dive into generative ai um and i think you know for our audience for our listeners who predominantly reside in and around the textile industry and um, with a focus on on printing could you explain the term ai
1: sure. in simplistic terms
0: how it works and you know it has such a transformative impact for both the workspace and just everything to do with manufacturing. I wonder if you could just explain those terms
1: of course so so w- some people would say artificial intelligence is more of a marketing term than a real term. All of this underneath it is machine learning right what mm-hmm. we're doing is we're allowing a a, a, a a computer system to learn and continually learn and or learn from immense amounts of data in the past, right, immense amounts. And there are hundreds of algorithms that we use today, but the ones that are getting the most attention, though they're not always the ones that are most used And in the textile industry, for example, I'm going to give you some examples of things we would do that might Mm -hmm. not use these, but the ones you hear about the most are all uh, based on a concept called deep learning and neural nets. Mm-hmm. including generative AI based on the same thing. And I'm just gonna, I could t- go deep into this, but I'm just gonna summarize it this way. It's just math. All okay. we're doing is learning from a bunch of data uh, that's repetitive to to come to the same result. So if I put in the number seven and I wanna recognize that from the number eight, um, I want a machine to teach itself how to recognize seven from eight. And I've given it the right math to build its own model to do so. So it's building its own neural net and how to recognize seven from eight. And then it can recognize eight from nine, it can recognize nine from one, etc. Right. Mm -hmm. And then we expand that and we can recognize Debbie from Kevin. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it builds out literally a decision tree, if you will, or it's, it's really a neural net with a bunch of hidden decision points. And all that math does is look at what's coming next and say, it's more likely to be this or less likely to be that. So now I'm going to expand that one step further to generative AI. So that's the basic underpinnings of everything. So with generative AI, I'm going to train sentences or phrases instead of individual words. So a phrase is built of many words. So for instance, in generative AI, if I've trained it well, And I say, today is Debbie's birthday. I don't Mm -hmm. know that it is. I'm making it Mm -hmm. up, right? Probably isn't. Um, But today is Debbie's birthday. What would you like to say to her? It would very likely come back happy to start with happy. And then it would look at all the billions of words that could come up after happy, Uh, happy glasses, happy headphones, happy birthday, likely birthday is next. And then if there were a third word, it'd probably be Debbie, happy birthday, Debbie. And it simply does that by mathematical probability of what word should come after the prior word based on your request. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and, and so I think when people think about this and they go, life is over as we know it. It's a very smart machine. It's going to be smarter than us. It's going to kill us. It's going to, that is completely wrong or it's sentient. It sounds a sentient because... Its ability to create reasonable uh, um, sentences is uncannily good. It doesn't mm. say it's accurate, but it's uncannily good. Its sentence structure is very good. Uh, may not always be accurate. But that's all you need to understand. That's all it is is a math model doing probability on the next word after the prior word and building out sentences like that. Um, and that's that's how it works.
0: So when you get into something technical like like the textile industry and trends and analytics and all of those things, where is it does it source its right. information from?
1: Great question. So generative AI models are general language models. They're called LLMs, large language models. And as a large language model, it mostly knows language really well. But in learning everything on the web, literally, tr- literally trillions of phrases. By chance, it also came across lots of statistics, including mm-hmm. textile statistics and retail statistics and uh, color statistics and things like that. <clears throat> so it wouldn't be a surprise if you ask, So for instance, it's not a surprise if I asked it uh, who was the first president of the United States. Um, you know, we, we might assume it says George Washington, you know, why? It, it didn't go research history, but it Probably knows that because it saw that many times. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. saw it enough times where it can come back with that fact. However, it can also come back with a false fact. So yeah. based
0: um, on probability, but it's it's fake. based on the probability. Fake so probability. Yeah. I
1: if you ask it the right way, most LLMs. If you ask it, who shot George Washington? Now we know that nobody ever shot George Washington, as it turns out. However, it did read a novel of fiction, where mm-hmm. George Tryon shot George Washington. And if you goad it in the right way, it'll come back and say, well, obviously, in the way you're asking me, George Tryon shot George Washington. And that's true in a fictional novel. It fails to tell you that that only happened in a fictional novel because it actually doesn't know the difference between fiction. In fact, it learned okay. everything unsupervised. So, um, so these are the, 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 the pluses and minuses. Now, if I wanted to really build out an AI model specifically for, uh, based on, let's say sales trends over the last 10 years, I wouldn't use generative AI. I would use, I would build out a neural net based on the exact data that I want. I don't, need okay. a gener- I don't need a large language model. I need the data that I have or the industry data or whatever. And from that, I might might be able to predict the future based on prior trends. You can't always do that, as you know. But based on prior trends of people are moving to, say, more neutral colors, uh, it, you know, we, we could predict that that continues for a period of time, right? Um, that might be one, one example. So, so as I said, there's lots of forms of AI. Everybody's excited about generative AI, but generative AI is primarily around language. And it happened to learn a lot of other things. And by chance, it might be right on a lot of those other things, but it might also be wrong.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? How the way it's the way the way you read everything in the news, the way that you know the marketing that comes out. People are. We're going to come on and talk about this a little bit more later. I think that's why people have been so threatened about the use of AI, really, and that you know it isn't going to replace the human because we have to fact check. And I think it's probably open to. Would you agree? It's open to misuse by people who don't within technical <clears throat> realms that don't yeah. fact check. Yeah.
1: Yes. So, so look, you, you're not going to approach something that you ask an LLM about. And I use, I, I use large language models every day. You're not going to approach it saying it's probably wrong. But, 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 you know, I don't go to it for sets of facts because mm-hmm. I have better fact checking mechanisms. By the way, including Google search, which is, it'll give you, you know, 20 websites and then I can go, Evaluate where those sources come from. It's the New York Times, I probably believe it, right? It's the London Times, I probably believe it, right? If it's uh, the the National Enquirer, I probably don't believe it, right? So I can I can immediately check the value, you know, based on this. So we have had search for twenty five years that has been excellent that allows us to fact check if we're smart enough, right? An LLM doesn't tell you where it got its facts from, so. If you don't use it for that and instead you use it, for instance, for generating marketing content. So you might say, I've got this new apparel coming out and it looks like blah, 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 and you give it all kinds of description. Can you generate advertising copy that is a summary of what I said that's exciting to the consumer and do so in 50 words or less? It is phenomenal at that. You just gave it all the facts it needs. You're leveraging its natural language processing, its ability to put sentences together, uh, and, 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 and its ability to reason based on the information you gave it. You didn't ask it who shot George Washington. You said, yeah. here's a bunch of content. Please give me back something that I can use. And if you don't like it, you can say, I don't like that one. Give me five more. And it will. <clears throat> that is brilliant. Now, that's like having a marketing assistant, or it's like you... Uh, instead of spending two days doing this, might spend 20 minutes, which includes getting the information and editing it. And you're done making you 10, 20, 50, in some cases, a hundred times more productive than you were before. So if you use the tools correctly, you have an opportunity for up to a hundred brain power of you. It's still your brain, right? You're putting the inputs in, you're editing the outputs, but we've amplified your brain by a hundred X. What have we, we've only been able to do that a few other times in history. And I'll give you an example. And this will level the playing field. People don't remember, probably, that the calculator came out really in the 70s and then broad use of the 70s. And then by the mid 80s and certainly late 80s um, and early 90s, we had the spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Those two things solved math for humanity. So much so that I could guess right now, Debbie, the chance of you having done long division with a pencil is about zero over the last 20 or 30 years.
0: I'd agree with that.
1: There's just no purpose <laughs> because there's a machine that does it. Yep. And when those machines came, including the spreadsheet, if you were in finance and you were an accountant, instead of accounting, what you literally did is you were adding up columns and rows in ledger books, right? Yeah. All day hundreds of people would do that. Well, this replaced that task but not their job because we employ more people in accounting today than we did then, except their jobs are quite different today. So, we have now solved language the way we solved math 40 years ago. And and that solution didn't kill anyone. The spreadsheet is something we all use today as a tool. We will soon look at large language models as just a tool. It's just a language tool for us, and it just took us a lot longer to solve language versus math because it was a harder problem to solve.
0: It's interesting, isn't it? Because as you as you just said, you know, in life, everything's always about input and output, and you know, clarity and and fact checking as well. Really, one of the things that you know you, you use the example of long division. You know, I've used a calculator for that long. I don't think I can even remember how you do it manually. And I think the same would be said of a more recent <clears throat> technology, I suppose, satnavs. you know, yes. we, we all, um, I mean, I do it, I do it routinely now, but in the past, you'd have had a map and you would have kind of remembered where you were going and you would have found your way back to that point mm-hmm. on your second visit. Yes. I, I, you know, I absolutely am so excited about everything that AI has to offer, but I also worry whether it stops, it stops as stops our learning in some way it stunts our learning sure a good or a bad thing
1: well we have uh um changed our learning Mm. uh probably for as long as human history has been around right so if you you know from the invention of the wheel look there were there were people who had to you know essentially um move large objects by having lots and lots of people. And they learned to do that, right? They learned to do it in very unique ways. And then the wheel came about, and all the learning that they had before was no longer needed, right? And this is true throughout history. So the need to do long division has ceased since the 1970s. We still teach it in school, and there's some question whether we should. I mean, that's a great question. I don't know the answer, but and many of your listeners will say, this guy's crazy. Of course, we have <laughs> to teach that. Okay, but but we don't teach probably basket weaving anymore. Um, it would be hard to find a course on basket weaving because no one actually weaves a basket. Now, there's some engineer somewhere in a factory that teaches a machine to weave a basket, which we've done for 70 years now. There's yeah. you no know, humans weaving baskets probably as a, a way of making money. Um, yeah.
0: But be quite brutal about that though. Language is about learning basics, isn't it and f- you know um and the constant repetition of writing, whether it's an email, whether it's marketing content, whether it's a novel, whatever it is, I think you could you could desensitize yourself, I suppose, really, and kind of forget the rhythm of of the written word
1: these are the same arguments i hear you
0: i'm not arguing i'm just no, 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 kind of no, like putting it out there is yeah, like yeah. i just kind of cuz it happens to me with you know sat and stuff like that. And you think, well, I'm not, I'm actually, because I'm not in the moment anymore. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's right. That's a better way of putting my point.
1: But but I can only say this, those, and I know you're not arguing, but those are arguments that were made when the spreadsheet showed up. Uh-huh. We will, we will lose the ability to do addition and subtraction and multiplication. We'll lose them. We won't need to do it anymore. And then I get that. However, it made everyone more productive and, yeah. I don't know. Humanity seems to survive, even though most of us can, will not be able to do that math long term. And in the very long term, the machine will do all the math, and, and is yeah. doing it. so. That is starting to happen. A language. Now, here's what's interesting: we can still choose, even today, to do long division. We can choose to pull out a map. You could still buy them, <clears throat> or print one out and figure it out and pencil our way there and pencil our way back. Nobody's stopping you from doing that. We don't have to use sat nav. And nobody's stopping anyone from writing the next novel or writing their blog post or doing anything by hand. You can still choose to do it. However, if you choose to do that, you are at a disadvantage compared to your competitor who has chosen to use AI.
0: Yeah, that's a great segue into the next question, actually. How do you think, you know, quite a lot of our audience work in the fashion industry or the interior industry or the sportswear industry, or they might be printers. You know, they, they, they have manufacturing workflows. They're starting to look at automation in a, in a deeper format. They're starting to look into robotics. What are the implications of AI for them at sure. any scale of business? I think that's really important that AI and, the, and its application is incremental. You don't have to be a huge company to be able to afford to do this.
1: Well, the nice thing about Gen AI, like ChatGPT, is that it's available to a one-person company. Mm -hmm. And you can use its lowest-end model for free. Well, that's pretty interesting. Now, what can you do with that? Well, you're going to write blog posts and advertising copy and maybe generate PowerPoints and things like that, right? Maybe do a little market research. Um, That's amazing for free. Now, you probably were doing a lot of this anyway using Google, but you were searching, you were finding what other people wrote. It just took you longer. Mm -hmm. This is taking hours down to minutes. That's fabulous. As you get to be a manufacturer, today, it is all about reduction of labor costs because your costs are really materials, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: maybe your infrastructure, your your real estate, but almost everyone, it's labor, okay? Okay. And there is no question that um, there is a move worldwide to onshore manufacturing, to Definitely. reshore manufacturing for, uh, you know, all of the reasons we know. And I think the easiest, you know, the easiest way to say it is that I know this is a little bit of a political story, but I don't think anyone's going to disagree with me. If you choose to do business with a communist country, eventually it probably ends badly. It just does. <laughs> just this, throughout history, that has never worked out, right? Yeah. And we all chose to do business in Russia for thirty years, and we've chosen to do a lot of business in China, and we know over time this probably ends badly. And we only did it because the labor was cheap. I mean, th- that's the truth. Mm-hmm. The, I it mean, was. Yeah. Nothing against the people. I'm not. You know, nice. I'm not making nice. a bad statement. It's just we did it because the labor was cheap. Okay. If we can drive labor out of our processes, and thus. To drive a uh, transport out of our processes, now we can start thinking about onshoring at about the same cost. So, mm-hmm. for a very long time, robotics was far, far more expensive than cheap labor, but cheap labor has been getting more expensive, and it's you know three hundred percent higher than it was a decade ago. So you you yeah. know you uh, in China, right? So labor has gone up, and robotics has continued to come down. And the accuracy because of AI, which I'll get into in a second, of robotics has changed everything. So we had vision systems on lines decades ago <clears throat> where we could do basic things, not very accurately, but we could align a robot to some crosshatch and you know, crosshair on the line and do something. Mm-hmm. Well, today, with these vision systems, we can recognize things incredibly fast and more accurately than human eyes can. Well, that changes everything, and they're cheap. These vision systems are cheap, right? So I can train up a vision neural net, basically, right, a yeah. vision system to recognize uh, 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 defects. Well, I'm going to pick that pick on that because that's easy. Defects in some, some printing, let's say, okay, yeah. and put a crosshatch on that one so that it gets cut out at the end of the line or whatever the case is, and, and it's a defect that maybe a human would not see and could not see at that speed, but it will see it, okay, mm-hmm. This is pretty interesting. And so then you start to say, where are all the places I do use people on a line? And can I stop that? And the truth is, we could probably replace virtually 100% of humans on almost every line with robotics. And some of those robots are quite expensive, but if they're going to run for 20 years, that million dollars might not be so bad. And it's very fast and it's very accurate. and It runs 24 by seven, right? So that might be replacing three or four people for 20 years. And you go, okay, well, that actually is a pretty good deal then, right? Mm-hmm. Especially if you're leasing it. So uh, so I would highly encourage people to look at a lot of the world-class robotics that's available. So a lot of that's out of Germany, as you know. They, 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 uh, they make a lot of this equipment still. And, um, and a lot of it, all of it can be customized to your needs today. And so as you scale up as a larger manufacturer, it's not that you're not doing the marketing with LLMs and having it right blogs and ads, but now you can really impact your business drive costs down. So when I look at pain points and I'm, I'm involved in a couple of companies that do manufacturing, I look at pain points there. It's all about how much can I do in parallel at what speed with almost, I I like to strive for a lights out factory. Mm Mm-hmm. I went to my first lights out factory in South Korea about 20 years ago. It was a printed circuit board factory. And I go in and for as far as I can see, there's no humans. And the boards are flying out and there's all this equipment and it's picked up and it's moved and it's all clean room. I go, there's no humans. They go, well, yeah, it's a lights out factory. Oh, and does you that don't literally
0: a- mean it can operate in the dark?
1: It can, Is yes, that- it can operate in the dark because since there's no humans, you don't need any light. No lights but,
0: on. Yeah. No
1: lights on. Lights out factory because there's no humans walking the floor. So the, um, the robotics have their own lighting for their own needs. And that might yeah. even be IR. It might not even be lights that we would see. So you literally turn the lights off. Why would you even run the lights? There's no humans. And, and this is fascinating. So, since it then, is. I've always been a fan of the lights out factory. Now, I know people are going to say, yes, but we've got to, you know, we need factory workers. W- what I would say is, if we're bringing back manufacturing, maybe when it left, there were 200 people in that factory, but to bring it back, probably there can only be 10 or 20, or else it won't yeah. be possible. Yeah, exactly.
0: That's exactly what's going on in the printing
1: industry. But, but yeah. that's fine. I want to bring it all back. I want, print- yeah. and, and, and by the way, printing's coming back. To, to the United States. I, I'm, right now, I'm in a suburb of Rochester, New York, and uh-huh. I know the team at Kodak, and Kodak makes these huge, yep. huge printers for packaging primarily, right, and other things. Mm-hmm. And they run so fast, and what they're doing is unbelievable. I just I was with the, the CEO, Jim, a week or two ago, and it's unbelievable, unbelievable what they're doing. And it's a multi-billion dollar company still. It's Kodak, but they're in printing. Uh, you know, they're not as known for film <laughs> even though they're still one of the world's only filmmakers and, uh, and they do make a ton of film. In fact, they're sold out for the next few years on film is what I yeah, understand. Yeah, I read that actually. Yeah. yeah.
0: don't know why I know that. It's an odd fact now. But um, no, I, I absolutely totally agree with you. Digitization is the whole way and it is yeah. actually reshaping the landscape of the global economies really near. We're, re, we're right at the beginning of that journey with nearshoring and onshoring, And, you know, if, if, in some ways it's an ideal, it's, a, it's an idea and it's only an idea <sighs> That can't actually land because we have lost a lot of the skills that we need to support manufacturing. So that takes time to build those up. But as you say, that's building up new a new footprint of in my from my life the textile industry using new technologies and a newly trained workforce who work in a different way and have a completely different skill set. Really?
1: Oh, they are robot overlords. I mean, they're there really to program and manage the robotic line. They're not there to actually physically do something on the line. Um, There might still be, you know, delivery of large rolls of textile or paper or whatever it is at the beginning of the line and some, someone taking it off and shipping it at the end of the line. But again, you, you, you bring these back by reducing the workforce by 90%, but it had been reduced by a hundred percent. So we're going to bring back some people. We're going to bring back these lines. We're going to get out of this geopolitical mess that we got Mm -hmm. ourselves into for low cost and And get back to making things near shore, and that's good for the environment because all of this stuff we 've been shipping on ships and airplanes all these years was never good for anyone it's it 's all bad, and there's a time value of money and the transportation cost and all that as well.
0: yeah, we evolve, don't we Yes, we absolutely evolve, speaking of evolving then, how do you think AI will change the future of retail particularly
1: well, um <laughs> look at amazon uh, mm-hmm. so amazon's been using a variety of AI for uh maybe 20 years. I mean, I think the world today or consumers think, oh, AI just arrived. So people in the field have been working on AI since the 50s. We made great strides in the 60s. Then there was a slow period of the 70s. There were more strides in the 80s. It goes on and on. So when ChatGPT came, while consumers maybe were very shocked, um, it was the result of decades of work towards a model that could could really ingest a trillion phrases, right, as yep. opposed to a billion. And it turns out to make ChatGPT, you probably needed three or five or seven billion dollars of cloud services that Microsoft donated to them, right? Mm-hmm. So to make a model that large, there's only a few companies in the world who can afford to do it, and they have. It's Google, it's Facebook, it is Apple and it's open AI because of Microsoft. Those are yep. probably the only people who have $7 billion to spend to make a model of this <clears throat> level. Yeah.
0: Now They're not going to miss. The,
1: yeah, yeah in a, I mean, there, this isn't something that a startup can do. So it took immense amount of, of compute horsepower. So people say, well, why, did, why didn't we know how to do that 10 years ago? Even if, by the way, we sort of did. In 2012, we understood that you could build potentially a large language model, although we were still doing it word by word. Not phrase, not by phrases until 2017 when Google invented the idea that, um, converting English to French wasn't working very well word to word because it would create a mangled French sentence, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Because the sentence structure is different. So someone had a brilliant idea that said, how about we learn phrases? Now learning a phrase instead of, instead of a word isn't a brand new idea, but finally around 2017, we had enough compute horsepower to do it. Mm -hmm. and so all of these have been governed by that so then they said we have enough computer horsepower so let's do that and that's what led to these large language models so 2017 right so if you had followed this progression like you're not shocked that you finally have a model with a trillion phrases um it's just you knew it would take billions and billions and billions of dollars to do uh so when you look at retail you you have to say what is Amazon doing right? What are they doing wrong? And um, obviously, from an online retail perspective, they are very, very, very good at uh, at predicting what it is that you want and what it is that you lo- Every Amazon page that you see is mm-hmm. very different than what your neighbor sees. <clears throat> it is all customized to you. It is true one-to-one marketing. It is, And, and, and like I said, they've been using different forms of AI for probably two decades. They also use it in their warehouses, okay? Those Kiva robots are amazing and they have done more to automate warehouses than anyone and push that technology forward. They mm-hmm. they have no choice, right? They have to deliver a $6 item to my door this afternoon for $6. Exactly. And that included the cost of the item. How do you do that without an immense amount of automation? It doesn't yep. say they're perfect, doesn't say people don't think they're the enemy. So now that you look at whether it's... um big box retail or local clothing stores or, or, or whatever it is, uh, again, you're going to be looking for efficiencies throughout the entire supply chain, throughout the entire supply chain, Mm -hmm. and also efficiencies on understanding the market. Okay. And market trends. One of, you know, this better than I do, but you know, one problem we have is, is we make too much of the wrong thing and nobody wants it for that season. That's certainly been an issue in, Mm -hmm. in, in, in the clothing world for a long time and sportswear and other things. Um, and uh and ai can really help predict that and see those trends ahead of time look at prior trends look at future trends look at what those prior trends were tied to Were they tied to weather Were they tell they're tied to an el nino or whatever right all of these things affect how people are going to react and what they're going to buy is it going to be um uh, you know in england in the uk is it going to be um really really warm winter or is it going to be really really cold that will have a huge impact and if it's yeah. really cold and everybody sells out of winter coats well, you can't make more winter coats in time. They'll be, they'll come in in the summer, right? So yeah, exactly. You have to, you have to predict. And, and so now you get into weather prediction. All so AI is really good at taking in hundreds or thousands of those different variables and looking over time and making that tie and say, well, uh, based on this, it will be a cold winter. We're going to make 30% more winter clothing than we might next year because that's a different ocean flow and we're going to look at something different, right? Yeah. So I, I think that's going to affect um, all of us. I think we can also look at you know, brands is Peloton going up in a brand or going down in a brand right now. They're trying to recover, but you know, they're a they're a COVID darling and a, now a non-darling yeah. and and there's a lot of those. So again, AI is can help predict some of these, but AI could not have predicted COVID when it hit because that is a black swan event. Yes. AI can't deal with something that falls out of the air.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It can, do, it, can, it can only process the data,
1: mm-hmm. and so all of a sudden in COVID, nobody wanted any of the clothes that we had. They wanted sweats. That's true. And, that's and you so couldn't true. make enough sweats. They wanted to just be home in sweats, yeah, that's and they would be in sweats true. on their calls and and these things. And and yeah. then we couldn't predict the day that everybody would go back and say, "Oh, I need a whole new wardrobe." And there was no new wardrobe. The wardrobe was in the store. Store was the wardrobe from two years ago when the store closed. And then yeah. you open the store, you go that I don't want that wardrobe. <laughs> so those could not have been predicted. But but um, I but think a whole, you
0: can- a whole new economies <clears throat> have been spawned because of that. You know yes. the whole the whole rewear upcycle, vintage, vintage. You know the gosh, there are so many platforms now, and people are really circulating their wardrobes especially amongst the younger generation
1: well you know the younger generation including the united states uh and and much around the world is much more sensitive to that they are yes. not i think like we were uh oh we've got to have the next new thing and i i've got to be seen in this new thing and i don't want someone to see me and and they would rather say oh you know uh this this is something that someone else wore it's in lovely shape and now i want to wear it and <laughs> exactly. my daughter is very much like that. She yeah. gets most of her things <clears throat> from these sort of used, you know, so uh, mine. websites. Yeah. yeah. yeah same thing. And, yeah, she and takes great pride in it. Yeah. She says, look, this was yeah. worn by someone else for only yeah. a few times. And then I got it at a quarter of the price and I'm wearing it and I'm going to wear it for quite a while. And then when I'm done with, it, I'm going to put it back on there and someone else will get it. Right. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is pretty fascinating uh, because, yeah, I don't think my mom or my wife would have ever been caught dead in any of that. You know, they had to go to the store and get the latest thing.
0: Well, cause it was seen as a, a signal of, of not of the opposite of affluence really, wasn't it? To be wearing yeah. secondhand clothes, way yes. then, post, especially post-war generation. That's right. We're sending out all the wrong signals to the neighbors. Oh, basically, That's right.
1: That's right. All <laughs> oh, like the
0: preschool meals. It's yeah. It was terrible, all terrible they ha- oh, that's
1: all they can afford is the used hmm. stuff. Well, now it's a badge of honor.
0: Yes, and, I and in fact,
1: the younger A generation, if, if it's yeah. something brand new, they go, why did you buy that brand new? You couldn't, you know, couldn't you found something that was available, you know, are you just trying to flaunt that you can buy something brand new? So it's become the opposite. It's really fascinating. Not good for the retail clothing industry, but interesting. Um, unless you're in used clothes, then it's good.
0: <laughs> it's all, yeah, it's all about balance, isn't it? Really, I think. Which kind of leads us on to one of the things that also um, makes people worry about AI, I guess, is how do we, is is this even an issue, Kevin? How do we protect <laughs> copyright and mm-hmm. intellectual property in the future? Should we be <clears throat> overly concerned about this?
1: Well, people are very concerned. Yep. But let me um, let me share a viewpoint, which is this. So humans learn by... Ingesting the world, mm-hmm. right? We look at textiles, we look at colors, we look at patterns, we also read novels. And after we've read, who knows, 10, 20, 50, 100 novels, we may choose to write our own novel. When we do, those 100 novels informed us on the way we want to write, the style mm-hmm. of which we want to write in. We may mm-hmm. not remember it. And I'm not talking about plagiarism, right? I'm talking yeah. about. We couldn't have written a novel had we never read a novel. That's impossible, right? You'd have to read many before you'd say, I understand the structure and I'm ready to write now. Same with a playwright. A playwright might see a hundred plays before they say, I think I'm ready to write one. And they might have read, you know, the style of the writing and how to do the staging and, you know, et cetera, right? So what we've done with AI is we said, go train on these same things that humans would train on. And then do not plagiarize, but learn from them. So not allowed to plagiarize. And there's a lot of rules in the good models to keep it from plagiarizing. And if it does quotes, if you force to quote something, it'll say this is a direct quote from, and it'll give attribution. That's legal. So this is the question, because our copyright laws in the West, because there are none in the the other side, but in the West, uh, only dealt with humans and allow humans to learn. Now we also can't write a direct derivative work, right? So I just mm-hmm. can't, I can't instantly go write a novel about Hogwarts, you know, and call it Hogwarts. I could write a different novel about kids in a totally different storyline mm-hmm. that might go to a castle. I don't think they could take the train there, you know. I'd have to yeah. have to be. It, it can't be so close that it's derivative, but I can certainly learn. And by the way, I could write anything I want in the style of. Harry Potter, I can't say it's in the style of Harry Potter, but I could learn a lot from Harry Potter and say, I'm going to write my own story. And it's about, uh, uh, witches that go away to a witching school, whatever. Right. I Mm -hmm. could do that. And, um, as long as it's not too close, then it's no longer derivative, even though I learned her writing style and I can write in that style. Okay. Totally allowed. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because humans have to learn from other words. Some people call it fair use and there's fair use in education specifically that if you were a teacher, you can teach about the writing style of or teach about the novel and no one can sue you for quoting the novel because it's used in a learning environment, mm-hmm. right? So we are supposed to teach from our prior work so that we can learn from prior work. Now we've asked AI to learn from prior work and, and then I can go to AI now and say, can you, I would like uh, uh, a, uh, a, a short story in the style of Ernest Hemingway. Now, it will not, it's not supposed to, and probably won't, do anything that plagiarizes Ernest Hemingway, but the style will surely be in a style similar to Ernest Hemingway, because it, it's doing nothing different than I would do. I read every Ernest Hemingway novel, therefore I mm-hmm. can write in the style of Ernest Hemingway. Should that be illegal? Now, if you are Ernest Hemingway's family, you're going, that's unfair. I don't want it to write in the style of my grandfather. That's I, that's terrible. That's stealing. Except Debbie can write and Kevin can write in the style of their grandfather, right? Mm-hmm. I can't specifically say this is in the style of Ernest Hemingway, but I can write in that style. And as long as I didn't plagiarize, nobody can you know, throw me in jail for it. Uh-huh. And so now I've asked AI to do the same as I would be expected to do to learn from a, a, a series of writings, and then maybe write in the style of or, or give me some examples of or whatever. And so our copyright law, I think, at least in the US, um if AI is treated like a human, there is there is nothing in copyright law that suggests today that it's doing anything wrong. It's not plagiarizing. It's not specifically, uh, uh, you know, stealing the storyline, uh, but you could ask it to write in the style of, or you could ask it for a quote from, and it will give you a quote because it read it, right? Yeah. And it'll say it's a quote from with attribution. So I, I don't see the problem except for creators who are scared to death and i understand that and yeah. and, and by the way this is true with artists it yep. learned from every art that's out there and now i can say you know give me uh create some art in the style of I've and it'll it. do yeah yeah, yeah it'll do I've so i played and, with
0: it create you know create a floral in the style of william morris using and it will. this color palette, palette, palette yes and put and put it in repeats yes and it will and it will do it
1: of course but but you could have also hired an artist to do that. Yes, including today, you can go on to Upwork or whatever any, Mm -hmm. you know, your favorite thing is find an artist and someone somewhere in the world will paint that for you or draw it for you, create in Photoshop or whatever it is and send it to you if you needed that. And they would charge you whatever, thousand dollars or five thousand or ten thousand or five hundred, depending on where they are and who they are. So you could have always asked the artist to do that, and that's not illegal. And they would have studied William Morris and done so in the style of William Morris, right? Totally fine. <laughs> now I've asked the machine to do it, and nobody yeah. likes that. But it's not—I don't I guess, think it's illegal. Then, is who owns it? So well, if the
0: if the machine creates it, and no one owns I it guess, right now. Yeah, there's that, no
1: that, copyright that, on something a machine own... creates. That was that my understanding. Yeah. The U.S. is uh, the early court rulings suggest that uh, there's no defense for something a machine creates. The uh, only human created items are defendable, right? So yeah. there's no copyright if the machine creates it. So that that creates an interesting thing. If I have a machine, you know, if I have AI create a brand new script, um, I can't copyright that. Because the machine wrote it. Now, could I copyright it if I am the editor and I edit it heavily? Well, that gets complicated. How much did I edit it? How much did I add? Right?
0: That was my next question.
1: Yeah. yeah. And no one <laughs> knows. It hasn't been tested. Yeah. But we do know, at least for the moment, courts don't appear to be, in the West anyway, willing to grant AI copyright holder status. And mm-hmm. uh, and this, actually, outside of this, this was tried at the USPTO, uh a patent trademark office where people tried to uh trademark some writing uh copyright some writings and sent it in and you know written by chat gpt and it rejected it so, and you know they decided there that's not what our charter is our charter is to copyright works of humans not works of machines So yeah. we're not going to copyright it so that's mm-hmm. interesting and, and we'll it see is, where it goes. It?
0: So- I think as it goes then, my understanding from, from my reading too is that if you generate, so if you're if you're in writing or you're marketing, whatever, and you generate something using AI, yeah. you can't sign it as written by because you didn't write it.
1: The only thing you can say is written by ChatGPT or exactly. written by BARD or written by whoever, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. and the- And I do that in my keynote presentations. Parts of it, I specifically, because of course I'm talking about AI and generative AI, I want to give examples and I say, written by ChatGPT or Bard or who or Llama on this date. Because I want them to see what wrote. And I said, this is what I put in. This is how I set up the prompt. This is the prompt engineering for that. This is my output. This is how I tuned it. And here it is. And I often give the very closing remarks. It says, my closing remarks. It says, written by ChatGPT on this date. And frankly, Its closing remarks are better than I could write.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. That's great, isn't it? We've just got a couple of questions and we've pretty much touched on this second one. But if you just had to summarize then, and just to round up, should people be threatened by AI, AI and how how should, they, how should they prepare to embrace, embrace the benefits mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. AI, which is what really should be happening?
1: Well, um, Just
0: all too much too quick.
1: Well, yeah, you, in the you know, public
0: domain. sure. Know I mean. Humans yeah. are
1: always scared of that, right? It's, yeah. it's too much too quick. And so I, I'm just going to go hide in the corner. But but here's the truth. Um, your job is not going away just because of AI, but your job could go away because your competitors using AI and you're not. Uh-huh. Right. So so, you know, wake up, smell the roses and let's get going. Right. And you need to yeah. use AI and generative AI, you know, in general across your business and to, to some extent in your life, if 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 it makes sense to do so. Uh, but it, it's very critical that uh, you embrace this. You're not afraid of it. Use it for marketing, use it for blog posts, use it for ad creation. Uh, use it in your life. Look, I get texts from people that are better pros than I am capable of. And it's so beautifully written. A thank you, you know, and they'll send it by text today. Thank you so much. And this is, and I will go to an LLM, go to a large language model and say, I just got this text. It's from this good friend. And this is what it says. What, how would, how should I best respond in my voice? Right and it'll give me a response, and I may edit a word or two, or I may edit nothing. It's just gorgeous. It's, <laughs> it's what I wanted to say, but did not have the skills to say it, right? Yeah. I mean, had I thought about it for two days, I might have gotten there, right? But I, 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 I go, that reflects my exact thinking, and boom, right? And then I'll often say, by the way, I did leverage LLM to do this, and they, <laughs> and they love that, actually. That's, that's
0: your specialism. Of course you did.
1: Yeah, so... <laughs> You can use this in your everyday life. You can use it like, I just got in an argument with my wife over the following things. What is, what is the best way to approach a response uh, where she won't be mad at me for my response for the next year, right? <laughs> uh, and it actually has very good advice. Now, why does it have good advice? Remember, it read novels, it read fact, it read fiction, it's got all kinds of stuff, right? And so you can take the advice or throw the advice out, but sometimes you just need advice. And when you do have – actually, my wife and I never argue, which is great. But if you do have an argument at home, and you know couples get in arguments, um, often uh, uh, one of those people just makes it all worse in in what they think is an apology, but it just makes the entire situation worse. And they're completely oblivious to why it made it worse because – you know the the couples have differences right and so you'd be surprised how good an llm is at this at formulating the correct language and just say that and shut up <laughs> because it's like, a, a a, aid, really. yes, yeah. it's like having a
0: communication aid really yeah. yes it's like having a
1: psychiatrist who's an expert in marriage family therapy or whatever right next living, to you
0: living in ai therapy
1: <laughs> that looks up at you and says no kevin i said well what i'm going to say is i'm kind of sorry but really no no you're not you're going to say i'm horribly apologetic it's all my fault i completely hear you and i love you terribly and just shut up i'm making it up right and yeah it'll it'll be more likely than right uh well, it would be have good to... if it
0: also showed you the the anticipated response <laughs> ah. quite interesting wouldn't it
1: well it it, it it uh you could do that i mean it all depends on your prompt if that's what you want yeah, and, and okay. give me what a- anticipated response but but I will tell you in in just trying it for some of these things because in my keynotes I talk about some of this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think
0: when you make it human, it, it's
1: it's much more the, absorbable. Definitely. The advice is 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 exceptionally good, and it's a lot of it is just you got to swallow your pride and not say what well you were thinking and what your emotions were saying. Just be apologetic, accept uh, ex- accept your fate, and you're fine. And you know what. An hour later, the other side's going to come back and say, you know what? That was really wonderful of you. And that was very thoughtful. You know, it's partly my fault, too. And, you know, and then there's yeah, some conversation. But there's no conversation when things are heated, right? And this is true at work, too. Correct. How should I deal with a coworker who, okay, and it's going to come back with some really, really solid advice. And you're going to say, I would have never thought of that, or I would never had the heart to do it. Just do it. Yeah. So look at this co-pilot. Look at this. Assistant that you now have as such a miracle, not Think something about trying it to in take that your format. job.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, your that, your virtual assistant.
1: It's yeah. unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and he or she knows all. Why? Because it read a trillion phrases. Yeah,
0: yeah, more than a lifetime's worth. More
1: uh, than a lifetime's worth. We couldn't absolutely. read all
0: that. Absolutely, yeah. Kevin, thank you so so much. Just before we finish, then um, obviously AI regenerating at an incredible pace. What's, if you had to summarize, what's next? Um, um, where, where are the next leaps of this technology and its well, adoption?
1: In Gen AI, everything is going to multimodal. So that means you can input pictures soon as well as text. You can, you can give it more information and it'll make a better judgment call. And also more of it will be connected to putting out pictures and drawings and uh-huh. illustrations. So everything's going to be multimodal. And then, um, I, I look, we're in a hype cycle. And these hype cycles, this is true with the internet. It was true with everything, true to mobile phones, is that it gets overhyped. And you think, oh, it does everything for me. And then you realize it only does some things for me. And then you fall in this trough of disillusionment. And you're <laughs> disillusioned by the whole thing. Well, that's an overreaction on the downside. And then you're going to come back and find it's very valuable and it sits right in the middle somewhere, right? So So I think get ready for this trough of disillusionment. But Don't get disillusioned. Just use it for what it's good for. Use it for where it's valuable to you. Uh, uh, And this is across the AI landscape. And, uh, uh, you know, I know you asked that should we be threatened by AI jobs and this and that. Uh, One one threat people think is it's not only going to take my job, but it's going to kill us somehow. Because when I talk to it, it's all knowing. Okay, do not hook a large language model to the nuclear arsenal. This is a really bad idea, right? Yeah. But aside from that, it has no ability to kill you. It's simply doing what a spreadsheet does for math. It's just language. And so embrace this amazing language tool. And I guarantee you three, four, five years from now, it's just going to be an everyday tool that we use. No different than our PC, no different than our smartphone today. Remember when smartphones were new? You go. What am I going to do with this thing? And then you get into it, and after a while, you can you live without it today? No. Well, no. Let me take you to the internet. The internet shows up in 1995. A few people get it on their desk, whatever. And you go. I don't know what this is good for. Okay. Today, if you're at an office and the internet goes down, everyone goes home. They close the they close the doors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You go home. You can't yeah. do anything. You can't process an order. You can't do research on who your competitors are. You can't create your next product. You're done. You shut the doors until the internet comes back. I mean, that's how ingrained in our life it became. Okay, if you're in accounting today and Excel spreadsheets stop working, all accounting stops. We're done. Okay, in the next few years, if the LLM goes offline, you will stop working. You'll go, what do I do? I'd I'd have to write this by hand, but that would take days. So why don't I just wait for the hour for the thing to come back up and I'll be fine? (laughs) right it'll be more productive so Mm -hmm. it's just going to be a tool in our lifetime and and um and that's how we have to start teaching in school uh we're uh, we we talk about this at college I'm on the board of RIT quite Mm -hmm. a bit which is how should we approach this in the classroom and some instructors are going it is not to be used it's verboten get it out of the classroom it's a very bad thing and others are going. Actually, what we should be doing is teaching prompt engineering and editing skills because it turns out these kids are going to use this anyway. This is now here and you can tell them not to use it, but they're going to. So now let's embrace it and say, this is now part of your life. And if we want them to write their own essay, we better give them a pencil and no computer and no internet and let them write in class where we can watch them, right? It's proctored. Otherwise, I'm sorry, they are going to go home and use a large language model to help them write their essay. And by the way, before that, they were using Chag, And before that, they were using Google and stealing pieces. And then we Mm -hmm. put in all this software to say that was plagiarism. You know, come on. We've been chasing this problem. By the way, before that, we used parents. Parents wrote the essays. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to tell my teachers this, but sometimes parents help with the essays when the kid was stuck and it was due the next morning. Okay,
0: the math, yeah, definitely, and the math. I confess. So
1: kids have been getting help all the way through. Now the large language model is really, you know, heavy lifting, and it turns out in their in their life in the future they will never be asked to write an essay at work ever from scratch. Yeah. They've never, they're never going to be asked to do long division. They're never going to be asked to do an essay. So teaching that skill, I know some of your listeners are going to be horrified, but it's probably not a useful work skill in the future. If you find it useful at home, please write your own essays all day, write novels, write whatever you want. Nobody's stopping you at work. If you're going to handwrite an essay, in fact, if you're going to handwrite a blog post two years from now, you know, or type out of your mind. Your boss is going to come up to you and say, what are you doing? We're not paying you to do that work. Ask the LLM, get three recommendations, pick one, edit it, and get it up in the next five minutes. That's That will be your job, not to write it from scratch. It, who would pay you for that?
0: So the skill is going to be in the prompt of the language. It's prompt engineering the and editing yeah. and understand.
1: Yeah. Remember, you can ask for five versions and then pick the one you want and edit that, right? So there yeah. is still a lot of creativity going on and yeah. a lot of checking. But... To write every word yourself, I mean, certainly the people I know who have embraced this, they wrote their last word themselves, you know, three months ago. Yeah. Haven't done it since.
0: So interesting, isn't it? Kevin, yeah. thank you so, so, so much. You bet. Your, your insights and knowledge sharing, wonderful. Thank you. Really yeah. appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it
1: was great to be on the show. Thank you.